Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about poltergeists. But before we get the shout-outs, I want to let you guys know you might be hearing, well, not lightning, I was going to say, you might be hearing a little thunder and lightning. You might be hearing a little thunder, though, because we're having a thunderstorm in Los Angeles, which everywhere else in the country, yeah, that's cool, whatever. In L.A., I can count on, like, one hand how many times we've had a thunderstorm. So I had to go outside and watch it for a little while, but I also knew I had to get to this episode. So speaking of getting to this episode, it's time for shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Chris Jones, producer, Damien and Daniel, Eric, Joe, Marisol, Tanya, Aaron, Alexandra, Amy, April, Ashley, Becca, Brandon, Chuck, Cole, Dan, Donald, Dorian, Isabel, Jason, Joshua, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Lauren McCune. Hey, howdy, hi. I don't recall if I replied to your message or not. I apologize if I didn't, and I have no idea what day it is anyway. Uh, Lindsay Hahn, Manning, Martin, Michael, Mildog, Robin, Sean Bishop, Sherry, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Trudy, Vanessa, Vicki, Artmuth, and Autumn, Carolyn, Cindy, Derek, Dill, Ezra, George, Harley, Heidi, Roger, Ian, Izzard, Jeff, T, Juliana, Carrie, Connie, Christopher, Lawrence, Leo, Liam, Loki, Megan, Nanashi, Paul, Ricardo, Russell, Seth, Scustin, Spencer, Suzanne, Tim, Void Tech, Audra, Bob, Cindy, Isabel, oops, Elizabeth, Gamerfan, J Mark, J Jerry, Kenneth, Kim, Laura, Melody, Paula, Ricardo, Terminal Animal, what's that? I don't like Terminal Animal. Matt, uh, what's that? Will, Alicia, and Jen. And again, a very special shout out to Joe Teague and Stitch. Once again, this episode is being produced by Chris Jones. Thank you so much, Chris. Alrighty, before we get into paranormal news, I wanted to give you guys a little uh, fun stuff that's coming up on the horizon. The Sean Bishop that I just mentioned a second ago and I went out on our first Randonautica. We thought it'd be fun to do a couple of randonauticas just to see what's out there, see what we get, see what we find, see if we find a dead body or, you know, whatever. And uh, the first one was fun. It was neat. It was definitely different. But the first one was just for us. Now, the next one, next time we go out, which will be soon, um, we're going to record it, whether it's audio and video or just video or just video or just audio, whatever it may be. We're going to record it and then um, release it for the patrons only because it's a damn good time. Anytime I get to hang out with that man, he is a great friend of mine. I love the Sean Bishop. All righty, let's get right on in to paranormal news. What time is it? It's time for Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News is one that uh, came out just the other yesterday, I think it was, and I'm desperate to hear the recording myself, but the news story is... Albert Einstein knew about aliens after U.S. compelled him to visit Roswell, claims his assistant. That's right, a audio recording has um, been unearthed or rediscovered, however you want to say it. Ooh, lightning. 
Thunder. Oh, I hope you guys can hear it. Um, his assistant, Shirley Wright, she did an interview, I believe it was in 1994. Let me just read it. Albert Einstein, Wiley, uh, we know who he is. Um, a bizarre revelation by the physicist assistant made in 1993 has been made public, and it shed light on the possible alien existence on Earth. According to Dr. Shirley Wright, Einstein had flown to the United States to observe the dead bodies of aliens and crashed UFOs upon request from the American government in July of 1947. It should be fairly easy to figure out. No, it's okay, Rum. It's just, it's just lightning. It's fine. To figure out where Einstein was in July of 1947. So I'm hoping it's that easy. In my mind, it has to be that easy to figure out where he was because everything he did was written down. But according to Wright, Einstein was flown to the United States by a team of secret agents Soon after the Roswell crash, in the tape, Wright also reveals that she felt an obligation to history to reveal the truth. And I like that. She claims that several military personnel, personals, I think they mean personnel, and eminent scientists were also present at the military base where Einstein paid a visit to suggest his thoughts about UFOs and aliens. It was disc-shaped, sort of concave. Its size stood up to one of fourth... One up to, up to one of fourth, oh, it's terribly written. Its size was basically one fourth of a hangar floor. The craft appeared damaged on one side. The body of the ship was what I could call a rather reflective material, but when you got up close to it, it was rather dull. Einstein was not disturbed at all by seeing the actual evidence. I didn't record in my notes his initial comments, but he said something to the effect that he was not surprised that they came to Earth and that it gave him hope that we could learn more about the universe. Contact, he said, should be a benefit for both of our worlds. One of the smartest men ever is saying that contact should be a benefit for both of our worlds, if this story is true. Obviously, keep that grain of salt going until we actually hear the record. Well, the recording would just be her saying the story anyway, but still. Uh, she also shared her experience of seeing aliens. According to Wright, all, five of the all of the five aliens looked exactly similar. Who wrote this? How could all the five of the aliens looked exactly similar. They either looked exactly the same or they looked similar, and they had big heads and dark eyes. They were about five feet tall without hair with big heads and enormous dark eyes, and their skin was gray with a slight greenish tinge. But for the most part, their bodies were not exposed, being dressed in tight-fitting suits. But I heard they had no navels or genitalia, she said. Uh, Wright and Einstein were asked to keep these details confidential, and it was due to this reason that the duo did not talk about it to the general public. The Albert Einstein Foundation also said they have no records of the physicist's whereabouts on this date. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Interesting. Really, really interesting. I really want this story to be true. Really do. All righty, up next in Paranormal News. Hey, hey. You guys remember that uh, Too Good to Be True video of Nessie? Well, guess what? It was too good to be true. Look, you can go back and listen to it. I wanted it to be true, but I was like, it's got to be bullshit, right? Well, yeah, it was, Kurt. It was bullshit. No surprise, that drone video isn't Nessie. They, uh, they said that... Um, I'm going to skip past that guy talking about his bullshit, but... Uh, they think it's a plesiosaur, all right, just a small plastic one made to appear gigantic. In a follow-up, Nessie Hunter, Steam City, blah, 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 it doesn't matter. I don't give a shit what that guy said because he's the one who did this fake. Um, 
Here we go. The YouTube channel Para Breakdown analyzed the video and says it's not Nessie. It's a toy. Once mo what's more, there appear to be two versions of the same video in the clip, one with a monster and one without. Ooh, under lightning. One without as well. I'll stop doing that. Don't worry. I'm just very excited that there's thunder. Um, so yeah, that's the big one. The big one is there are two versions of the video. One with the Nessie thingy, toy, whatever it happens to be. I thought it was digitally added, but whatever. And one without. The guy posted the one to that uh, whatever uh, canoe for, you know, a good cause thing he was doing. Still great that he did a good cause. Maybe he did this fake to try and bring attention to the good cause, in which case, good try. But don't, don't do fake videos of Nessie. Come on. I, we all want Nessie to be real. Stop with the fake videos of Nessie. Alrighty, let's keep on keeping on. Up next in paranormal news, one that was sent to me. I haven't really had a chance to read it, so this will be a first for both of us. Eight first-hand accounts of UFO sightings in Myrtle Beach. This one just came out today, about an hour ago, really. Do you ever feel like someone's watching you, or maybe multiple somebodies? Extraterrestrial somebodies, maybe? For whatever reason, you can pick your own theory, the Myrtle Beach area has been a hot spot for UFO sightings for years. Tracked in a government database, blah, I frequent air, blah, here we go. Um, I frequent air shows. I'm a big fan of military aviation, and I can identify aircraft as I see them fly overhead. Not being able to explain what I saw is very irritating to me. I don't believe in UFOs. I still don't. However, there is video footage online that is very similar to what I saw. That's because... Dozens of encounters in the Grand Strand have been recorded in the database with 66 entries since 2019. Some sightings, sure, space launches, fireworks, drones, but some not. And for example, this one, it was 9 p.m. and my whole family was sitting on the balcony at a resort. The sky was beautiful. It was almost noon. It was almost a full moon. Sorry, it was almost a full moon. I looked up and noticed two orange, color of a fire, Orb lights. I said to my husband, look, what is that? When I told my husband to look, a third orb appeared. The first two lights would, made, would have made a horizontal line if you were to draw a line connecting them. Hey, guess what? Any two points will make a horizontal line. Well, I guess not a horizontal. All right, you're, you're fine. I take it back. The third was below the first two and off to the right slightly. As soon as my husband saw them, the third light disappeared and the other two disappeared as well. I said to my family, that was a UFO. I can be very open-minded to things. I like to watch shows about UFOs and Bigfoot sometimes when they are on. My husband is a total skeptic. He can come up with a logical explanation for anything, but my husband even thought it was strange and was try and was not trying to explain it away. Here's another one. I'm not going to read all of them, but here's another one. Last night while I was watching Netflix, I observed an orange light flash outside my condo. When I did it again, I got up and took my binoculars and my iPhone to take a picture. I could see many lights out over the ocean, but through the binoculars, I could see that some of the lights were moving very erratically and changing color equally as fast. I took a picture, and when you enlarge it, you can see one of the lights is a red color and looks to have energy coming from it. The UFO stayed there for more than 40 minutes. I was driving on Highway 501 when a large formation of bright orb-like balls formed a perfect elliptical shape. It rotated and maintained that shape while seeming to rotate along a perfect path. These orbs were about the distance of a low-flying helicopter, much too large to be drones. As it rotated, each orb disappeared one by one, and it was gone. I was at the pool. 
clear day, no clouds. I saw an object very high in the sky and got my binoculars. I saw a large cylinder floating in the sky. It looked metallic and had a very bright flashing light on top or a mirror reflecting the sun. I watched it for 20 minutes until it floated behind the trees. No exhaust, no strings, no wings, no sound. And there's a bunch of them. It just keeps going on and on and on. So apparently, if you're in the Myrtle Beach area, is that South Carolina or North Carolina? I think it's South. Uh, anyway, if you're in the Myrtle Beach area, you know what Carolina you're in. And, uh, you know, look up. There might be UFOs. Alrighty, next up in paranormal news, Knox man faces charges after trying to resurrect his grandmother. That's right, Knoxville, Tennessee. A man's in jail after causing nearly $30,000 in damages to a cemetery in an attempt to resurrect his grandmother. Law enforcement responded on Monday to reports of vandalism at the church cemetery on Huckleberry Springs Road. Extensive damage includes dig sites and broken headstones. Oh, that sucks. Danny Frazier admitted to destroying some of the property in an attempt to, quote, resurrect his grandmother, who is buried at the cemetery. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. That's, that's bad, guys. Don't, don't do that. Alrighty, finally in paranormal news, a video that I wanted to watch, but as you know, when there's a video, I like to wait to do it on the air. Teenage girl in India allegedly cries tears of stone. They say the teenage girl and her family say she's been crying tears of stones for weeks, but not everyone is convinced that the occurrence is genuine. It began on July 27th in the village of, oh, I'm sorry, Gadia Balidaspar. I know I fucked that up, I apologize. When the young woman named Chandni Notice that her left eye had begun producing pebbles when she cried. In the days that followed, the phenomenon purportedly continued with the teen making between 10 and 15 of these stone tears per day. Her, her perturbed family began monitoring the worrisome situation shortly thereafter and have since collected a staggering 70 stones. They even went so far as to film a somewhat unnerving video seen above, which I'll watch in a second, which shows the pebbles as they emerge from the teenager's eyes. However, experts who have been consulted about the case have expressed considerable skepticism over the alleged phenomena, with two ophthalmologists insisting that her condition isn't possible. They argue that the teenager is most likely fabricating the weird ordeal, possibly as a part of attention-seeking hoax, blah, blah, blah. Let's find out. I'm going to watch the video now. Oh. Let me turn on the sound. Oh, 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 I hate eye shit. Ah, oh, it's already gross. All right, I will say it's not, she's not crying this, oh God, this fucking video. She's not crying this tear, this, this stone. It's not coming out of her tear ducts. It's not where tears come from. It is above her eyeball, under her eyelid, and someone's like pushing a pebble. Oh. Out of her, ah, come on, guys. That's gross. Yeah, You're on. gross. Nope, I'm calling BS on that one. I'll post the video on Facebook if you want to see a gross pebble come out from someone's, under someone's eyelid. All right, that about does it for paranormal news and not-so-paranormal girl with rock in her eye. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Alrighty, we are back. It's October. It is my month of spooky stuff. That's right. I love October so much so that I'm terrified that I won't have, I want to have like twice the content. I was like, I'm going to have a 
a small episode every day. Well, that ain't happening. There's no way I can possibly do that. I wish I could. I wish I could have an episode every day. But, you know, I have, you know, a life and a puppy and a job and a life. Not so much a life. I said life twice. That's not true. But I've got a puppy, so that's, that's a big one, and a job. That's a big one. But I like the spooky stuff. So for this first spooky episode of October, let's talk about poltergeists. And for the first time ever, I think, I think, I don't know. We'll find out. You tell me if I'm wrong. First time ever, I think, here's a poltergeist I wouldn't mind meeting once. All right, let me just qualify that by saying this is no way an invitation for any poltergeist to come to my house right now to come and hang out or whatever. I uh no no. This one poltergeist I would like to meet. Say hey, how do you do? Have him do a couple of things I'm going to talk to you guys about in a minute and then go away. You fuck off, you know. All right. With that being said, with that caveat being said, for this one, we go way, way back to a quiet street in Cardiff in 1979. To a lawnmower shop called Cardiff Mower Services, or just mower services to the locals. Now this poltergeist case, I'm gonna tell you right now before I even get into it, it's odd for a number of reasons. Firstly, because there's no teenage kids that worked or lived there. Now, as you guys probably know from previous uh, poltergeist episodes, paranormal almanac poltergeist episodes, almost all poltergeist activity is connected to a girl going through puberty. That just seems to be the way. This one does not have that. Also, this poltergeist doesn't exactly seem malevolent to me. It seems kind of playful, kind of in a good way. It doesn't seem to want to seriously hurt anyone. And it didn't last like less than like just a few months or less than a year like most poltergeists happen. No, this one lasted for 14 years. And in my opinion, is probably still going on just in a different location. But I'm not a frog, you're not a bunny, so let's not jump ahead too much. Let's go to 1979 Cardiff. All right, you feel it? You're in Cardiff, 1979. You're at a mower service shop. Now, it consisted of a workshop and a small yard set back from Criz Road. That's C-R-W-Y-S, Criz Road, in the cafes area of Cardiff. And yes, I know, it's not how you probably pronounce it. You probably pronounce it like Crazy's Road. Come on, Kurt. In in, in Wales, W-Y is call is pronounced ad so it's actually crads road no i don't know this shit it's just it's c r w s road it's not a real name all right anyhow they're a adjo- they're adjoining garden accessory shop opened out onto the streets which is a tiny little shop it's got a garden accessory shop in front it's got an office now the shop itself was originally part of a row of terraced houses built in 1882 so the shop goes back for me anyway, for an American anyway, it goes back a long ways. Now, John and Pat Matthews got the shop in 1979 and almost immediately, they say, strange things just started happening there. 
Now, the first occurrence uh, happened on a Saturday afternoon, John said, when he was watching a rugby game on a TV in the shed in the yard. Now, he was with Pat's brother, Fred Cook, who worked there with him. All of a sudden, stones started landing on the roof above them until, you know, they were just like, what the heck, I've had enough. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to yell at the kids who are throwing stones at us. We're just, you know, three men, grown men in a shed trying to watch rugby stop throwing stones at us. So John goes outside, starts looking around, and there's nobody there. And he's like, ah, oh, they must have ran away. When rocks started to rain down on the tin roof again, right in front of him, and there's nobody around. He said, all right, they, this is weird. So he walks around the whole shop. Then he waits, expecting to find the kids, like, coming around a corner or messing with them or whatever. But no, nobody was around and the stones kept being thrown. Fred said, and I'm not gonna do a Welsh accent. Fred said, I thought people throwing stones. It's gotta be kids. It can't be anything else. Nope, nobody was outside and the stone throwing kept on going. The stone throwing kept on going. I like that. Uh, This was just the start of the stone throwing because soon stones started being thrown onto the outside and now the inside of the shop itself right from the get-go. Now, the guys all thought that it must be other workers that were just, like, responsible, like, just messing with them. But they couldn't catch anybody doing it. And it wasn't just stones. It started out stones and then quickly went to ball bearings as well. They were being thrown at them when they were alone or no matter who was or wasn't present. And they also noticed that one corner of the shop, well, it smelled like burning all the time. All right, so they decided to, uh, they, you know, this was going on for months. It just kept going on, kept going on. So they were like, that's it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lock up the shop. Uh, I already forgot the guy's name. We got Fred, we got Pat, and we got John. They were like, you know what, that's it. We're locking up the shop. So they lock up the shop. They go through. They make sure that nobody else is there. No one's hiding. No nothing. There's only the three of them inside. Like I said, they go through the entire shop, making sure that they're alone. When they're convinced, yep, it's just them, they all put their hands on the workbench, fingers touching. And one of them said, come on, throw a stone. And yep, a stone came out of nowhere and hit their hands. They said when these stones would come, when like be thrown at them, You couldn't track them with your eye in the sky. It was just like all of a sudden it was boom right there on top of them, hitting them, hitting their hands. So they were like, what the crap? They said they were a little scared and a bunch excited. So Fred said, hey, we should write this down. Again, hands are still on the counter at the workbench, fingers touching, there's no possible way. And Fred said, you know what? We should write this down. And immediately a pen was thrown onto their hands. So then they each start asking for specific things only to have them each get what they ask for thrown at them. Engine parts, you got it. Spark plugs, yep. Pennies, yeah, sure, why not. Stones, bolts, you name it. And every time it would appear and hit their hands. Now they didn't do this just for a couple of minutes, for like a few minutes, no, no. All three of them have said online in interviews, they did this straight for three 
full hours. I want a penny, boom. I want a, I want a ball bearing, boom. Just things around them. And the weird thing is when they asked for pennies, old pennies from 1912 appeared. So they were like, this is kind of fun. This is kind of cool. Seems to be a cool thing. We got to name this thing. We have to name their poltergeist. And they said, oh, well, his name is now Pete. Pete the poltergeist. So everybody, I want to introduce you to Pete the poltergeist. It's going to get freaky. All right, so John went home that night. He was so excited. He couldn't believe what happened. Fred went home, told his wife everything, everything that happened. He was loving every bit of it. And uh, word got around when customers started having things happen to them too. So it wasn't just the shop guys. It was anybody in or around the shop. The local paper even came to interview them when the word really got around. John told the paper, it all started with the poltergeist throwing things about. He was just throwing everything around in the shop. We looked at each other and couldn't believe it. It was the most fascinating couple of hours I've ever spent. He's thrown things while people have been in the shop and while reps have been here. I'll get to what that means in a second. Now, Pete really perked up. They said he started throwing tools, bolts, ball bearings, even more. He was going crazy. Then he would also drop uh, like like dust basically was dropped down the back of the workers' shirts. But it wasn't all destructive though. Some of it was like there was a smashed dish and it was magically put back together. They knew this dish was broken. When they came back into the shop, it was repaired without glue. Like it was good. A lawnmower started up on its own. Text was typed on a computer in the office in the shop. And on one very bizarre occasion, John said blue flames emerged from a brass World War II shell case that was on display as a souvenir in the shop. John seemed to be the one who was like, who really wanted to test Pete though. And so uh, he noticed a carburetor float. And if you don't know what a carburetor float is, don't be surprised. I'm not surprised. It's a little like usually like a styrofoam or or really lightweight like foamy kind of uh, thing with a metal plunger on it kind of a thing that, that floats up and down kind of like if you have ever taken off the lid of your toilet and look in there there's that ball that kind of floats well that's a float this is a carburetor float for your carburetor in a car or in this case a lawnmower so it's a very small lawnmower carburetor float and he noticed that these often moved around the shop and he said, well, these are lightweight. I can get why Pete gets behind these and, you know, moves these things around. So he decided to do a very specific test. One evening, as he was leaving, he placed the carburetor float on a flat surface on the workbench and then challenged Pete to move it. So he goes to leave, and as he was locking up, he felt a prick in the palm of his hand, and when he opened his hand, he found it was the sharp end of the float. It had materialized into his hand. So he walks immediately back over to the one he had placed in the workshop, and yep, it was gone. He had literally just placed it there on the workbench, he said, and within minutes, it was never seen again, and the metal part of it was sticking out of his hand, and it was not there before, he says. So, after about seven years or so, the shop's business was starting to pick up, so they decided they needed to renovate the shop. And they noticed that made Pete's activity even worse or better, depending on how you view Pete. 
But since they were having good luck with, the, you know, asking for pennies and rocks and, you know, whatever they asked for, the guys started to ask Pete for money, like real money. The next morning, three old pennies, again, dating back, some dating back to 1912, and a crumpled up five pound note were found in the retail shop and the workshop. They said they knew they weren't there before. Fred said the boys who worked there used to say, say to him, give me a penny and he'd make a penny appear out of thin air and fall at their feet. Then he started giving me pounds and even notes, fivers and tenors stuck to my car in the rain. They also started finding 10 pound notes stuck to the ceiling tiles in the office area. Now, like I said, the guys that had noticed that, you know, the guys had noticed that one small area kind of smelled like burning all the time. And they noticed that one area that smelled like burning seemed to be where most of the activity was centered or came from or was the most powerful. So John said, it seemed to stem from one corner. One day I was moving things about in that particular corner and because I was disturbing him, he threw two big marbles, which just missed me, he said. They called this spot the focus of activity. It would later be written about in a paper by a paranormal investigator, but uh, he's coming up in a second, so we'll get to him. But they noticed that when they would throw whatever, whatever they had, when they would throw something at this focus of activity spot, they wouldn't hear the rock or bolt or whatever. They wouldn't hear it hit the wall, but it would be immediately thrown back at them. Again, without you seeing it, they said they never saw it coming through the air. It was boom, right back at you. Now, John found he was able to repeat this over and over and over again. And the odd thing here was it was usually a different stone that came back to him, not the one that he had thrown. He said this eliminated the possibility that it was just bouncing back and they couldn't, for whatever reason, see or hear it bouncing back. Now, another fun incident also happened um, when, the key when a key ring with a bunch of keys just went missing. They did a full search of the entire place trying to find these keys. And after a full search, they'd just about given up when the keys reappeared as they slid across the floor directly towards the owner of the keys. All right, let's move forward in time just a little bit. There was a break-in at the workshop and the police were called. While the officers were there, they too said they witnessed Pete throwing things at them. At first they thought someone else was in the shop, maybe it was another burglar, whatever, but they checked the entire place and it was just them. But things were being thrown at them as they walked through the entire shop. Now because of the burglary, uh, Gareth Lucas, who was a representative, I mentioned a representative a minute ago, who was a representative from the insurance company, he visited to inspect the building. Now, he reported strange things. He heard odd noises, plus, you know, the good old seeing a stone being thrown across the floor at him. Now, one witness worked in a shop two doors up the street in the early 90s. Now, he heard about the local stories of the ghost that haunted the mower shop, but he was like, nah, it's bullshit. So, while walking past one day, he kind of wanted to test it. He, was, you know, looked around. There was nobody else there picks up a stone off the ground and throws the stone at the side of the shop. Now to his surprise, he says, the stone didn't hit the metal door he threw it at. Now he expected to hear a metallic clank when it made contact with the door, but it didn't. Instead, 
It came right back and fell at his feet without making any sound apart from when it fell to the ground. So he started telling all the neighbors, all right, there is something to Pete the Poltergeist. It's freaking me out. I don't want to walk around there. You guys shouldn't go around there anymore. Basically started spooking all of the locals. So much so that John and Pat worried that Pete the Poltergeist might actually scare off or eventually drive away their customers. So moving forward to 1989. When Pete, or I'm sorry, when John, it'd be, it'd be weird if Pete contacted him. When John contacted the Society for Psychical Research in London, they sent David Fontana, who is a British parapsychologist, author, and professor of psychology at Cardiff University. And he couldn't get enough of Pete. In fact, he did a full report on Pete. I believe it's called the Skull Report. I don't have it written down, but I think it's called a Skull, S-C-O-L-E report. Um, anyhow, he spent over two years investigating the case from June of 89 until 1992. As soon as David arrived, he said, everything started happening. He started experiencing activity just like they said, to the T, anything you can think of. Stone, yep. Penny, yep, you got it. You know, stone bouncing right back where it shouldn't. Yep. He said when he first walked in the shop, he saw John and a visiting sales rep who were sat on low boxes with their hands on their knees so he could see their hands. He noted that as their hands were visible, they didn't move. A stone was thrown across the entire workshop. Uh, he was also able to replicate the whole thing about like Pete returning the you know, the stones being thrown into that very specific Bernie smell corner of the workshop. And he thought this demonstrated that Pete the poltergeist showed intelligence. Like I said, he did a whole report, especially about that focus of activity spot. Now, next door to the shop was a church, and that local priest named Reverend Mike Fuller said that he witnessed stones being thrown at the church while he was looking out the, you know, looking out at the shop, and stones were thrown at the church, but he said he never thought that Pete was evil. That's about all he really had to say about it. He said, you know, we're, you know, we live on different planes. This is just a different plane. A uh, local woman named Joyce Glenn heard about it, probably from that dude that was walking by that chucked the stone, um, heard about it and said, well, I want to check it out, kind of. Um, didn't believe it at all, she said. So she goes in for a repair or says she's there for a repair. When she saw bolts and ball bearings getting thrown by no one. So even local skeptics, hardcore skeptics, were convinced by the activity of Pete the Poltergeist. All right, we're going to move forward a little bit. We don't need the sound effect because I don't know the year. Um, Fred saw Pete. He said he was working on a motor. It was right across from the. He's on the ground, mower's in front of him. I believe it was John. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was John. It might have been Pat. That was across from him, right? They're working on the motor. He looks up past, I'll say John. He looks up past John's, over John's shoulder. And right there on a shelf behind John, he said he saw a tiny little boy just waving at him. As soon as he saw it, he said, well, it's got to be Pete. So he said, hey, hey, John, don't make it, you know, don't be alarmed. Very casually. Look over your shoulder. And as soon as John turned around, Pete disappeared. And John's like, what the hell are you playing at? There was nothing there. And he said, I just saw him. He was a little boy. He was all gray, no face, 
but waving his hand. He said it was looked like a little boy. He's convinced he saw Pete. Now, as soon as he said, I'm convinced I just saw Pete, a mower part came down from above them and landed onto the mower right in between them. Now, unfortunately for the story, but fortunately for the shop, they moved the shop when the business outgrew it, basically. They said, it's, you know, business is booming. We got to get a bigger shop. So they moved. But Pete didn't go to the new shop. Instead, Pete started showing up and, you know, messing with Fred at his flat. Fred said he would sit there and mess with the photos, spin them around and around and around in the actual picture frames. He said spoons were starting to being thrown, coins were being thrown from nowhere, and as much as Fred liked Pete in the shop, he and his wife didn't seem to like Pete the poltergeist being in their house. They both got so spooked, they moved away, but Pete didn't follow. So that is about the end of the story, sadly, for Pete the Poltergeist. Kind of. In my opinion, my guess is Pete is either back at the original shop location or at Fred's old flat, but I can't find any reports from the area that seem to talk about, like, Pete the Poltergeist. I don't know what's in. I couldn't find the exact address of the shop, I could find the address for the new shop and not the old shop, so I have no idea where the original shop was. I, spe- I bet if I could, you know, spent a little time, I could find it. But my guess is whatever's in that shop location now, they still got that Bernie smelly corner, and my guess is Pete will be there. Or, like I said, he's just hanging out in Fred's old flat, you know, still messing with whoever seems to live there now. I feel kind of bad, though, because it does seem, again... Like Pete genuinely liked the guys or liked having fun with them or just playing, just a kid. Now, the only reason that I call it Pete the Poltergeist is because that is exactly what they named it. I would have said it's Pete the Little Gray Ghost Boy because it seems to be more of a boy, but, I mean, it technically is doing stuff that poltergeists do just in a not-as-threatening way. Now, I did find this comment on a site about Pete when I was trying to find more info. They said, I remember watching an episode of Strange But True. I watched it. You can hear interviews with all three of these guys, and it's freaking awesome. And I think the priest as well, if I remember correctly. Um, I remember watching an episode of Strange But True presented by Michael Aspell in the mid-1990s. It had the Cardiff Poltergeist in on one of the episodes. I've been fascinated with the paranormal ever since my family and I experienced it for nine solid years at a property in Wales just 17.3 miles from Cardiff. We live in a former mining town called Bargoid. The property we lived on was called Gladstone Villa, or Villa, I'm assuming it's Villa, which is in Cardiff Road, Bargoid, north of Caerphilly. Now, we experienced things that defied rational explanations, such as the very mild poltergeist activity. We witnessed cables being pulled by unseen forces. There was the occasional sighting, but this was very rare indeed, but we did regularly hear footsteps in the main bedroom every evening, sometimes during the day when we'd all be downstairs watching television. The Gladstone Villa property actually convinced a skeptic and a non-believer, so it's well worth looking into and really does need to be documented. I agree. I'm going to see if I can find anything out about Gladstone Villa and try and see if I can contact whoever happens to live there. Alrighty, so once again, that about does it for Pete the Poltergeist, but don't go yet. 
The podcast isn't over, just Pete Starry's over. So for this next one, we go to Swansea in 1965, oops, and we're gonna stay in Wales. Now it was described as this, an unremarkable house in the middle of a row of unremarkable terraced houses. But in 1965, news crews actually camped outside the property on Rhonda Street in Mount Pleasant because of news reports that had gotten out, like the story had gotten out. The date, December 1965, the, uh, a story had been shown on the front page of the South Wales Evening Post, and that headline read, The Ghost of Rhonda Street. The news story said, Detectives today called at a terraced Swansea house, which the occupants believe had been ransacked by a ghost. You'll hear about the uh, news story from one of the news reporters in just a little bit. I'll play that. But uh, so according to the news story from the newspaper, furniture in the property had been thrown about an upstairs bedroom, living room, and kitchen lean-to, and the family told the newspaper it was the work of a poltergeist. Now, the family said it began with a bottle of children's medicine rising from the mantelpiece and flying towards 20-year-old Marsha Howell, who lived there with her husband, David, their three-year-old daughter, Beverly, and a one-year-old son named Gareth. So again, nobody really matching that um, girl going through puberty kind of age group. 20-year Marsha is close as they get to that. But uh, they said that uh, Marsha had been looking in the direction of where that um, children's medicine was on the mantelpiece and said there was no one there that threw it. So she was so rightfully scared, she scoops up her son and she runs outside to meet her husband as he came home from work. No word on what they did with uh, three-year-old Beverly. But anyhow, so she runs outside to meet her husband because he's on his way home from work anyway. She said within minutes of meeting up with her husband and getting back to the house, well, her words are, by the time we returned, he reached the living room and all the furniture was upside down and clothes strewn around the room. Now the next day, the family heard crashing noises coming from the lounge. So they run downstairs and they run in there and discover that the furniture had once again been upended with a television set thrown on the floor and chairs on top of it. Then as they're downstairs, they hear something upstairs so they run upstairs and a double bed had flipped upside down on top of a baby's cot and when husband David arrived home another crashing noise was witnessed coming from the kitchen so they run into the kitchen and they said that the cooker had tipped over onto the floor uh, both the uh, mom and dad Marcia and David reported being awoken by a choking feeling during the first three nights the family moved into the house back in January of that year that's a bad sign you move into a new house and the first three nights you're awoken to being choked unless that's your kink I would say move the hell out of that house uh, let's see when uh, detective first called at the house they had to force their way into the upstairs bedroom according to the newspaper they uh, inspected the results of the attack, but did not discover any more damage. Now, the police believed to be puzzled by the happenings are continuing their inquiries, according to the newspaper article. Alrighty, so a local resident, Alan Lloyd, said it was quite a story. People were talking about it, and some people were very nervous. 
It was a different time, of course, and perhaps people then were more naive and we know a lot more now, but it caused quite a fuss at the time. A day or so later, the uh, Evening Post was out there as well. They reported with a possible, but in my opinion, very unlikely explanation. Because also living at the property, as I said earlier, was Mrs. Howell's grandmother, Glendora, who, according to the reporters, after they inspected the damage, it became clear that none of her own items had been damaged in the disturbance. The ghost, or poltergeist, whatever you want to call it, seemingly singled out precisely whose property to levitate or destroy. So they're saying, well, it's got to be old granny. She added that uh, she would not return to the property, even if she were offered 500 pounds. So again, some people were like, well, her stuff wasn't broken. It's got to be granny running around trash in the place. But it doesn't explain how the entire family had to, you know, run downstairs. They didn't say, we ran downstairs and in the middle of the room that was trashed was granny. Now, Granny ran past us, ran upstairs. Then all of a sudden, we heard all this commotion coming from upstairs. We ran upstairs. Now, Granny's upstairs. No, they didn't mention Granny running around or being able enough to chuck a TV or a double bed. All right, so uh, Marsha Howell, she calls local uh, preacher, whatever, Father Martin Griffin of St. David's Roman Catholic Church to come in and bless the house. Now, he only spends... According to the news story, he only spends five minutes blessing it and throwing holy water on everything, and then he takes off. So Marsha was like, I don't know if that did any good. So she contacts a local paranormal investigator, security officer Harry Holmes, who, according to the newspaper, 74-year-old, was said to have investigated haunted houses for the past 35 years. They said he'll take a little black box with him to the Rhonda Street house called Harry's Box, it contains a bell which will signal if anything moves in the house while he's there. Throughout the 24 hours, he will sit in a chair, probably in the living room, and he wants to be alone. Harry said, I'll take a pack of cigarettes for company. So Harry does that, sits in the living room, spends 24 hours in the house, and then goes, nope, the house is not haunted, and he left. Although, he did say that he noticed a streak of light about a foot long above the mantelpiece, but he thought it could have been a light from a street lamp reflecting from the mirror, so he wasn't exactly sure. All right, so news stories, or news stations, that is, keep sending reporter after reporter out to the house. One who said, And certainly it was no figment of the imagination that threw the bottles around the room, and turned the bedroom and the kitchen into complete shambles around me. The questions the neighbors around here are asking now is, could this happen to them? Now, the news, they, like, they were out there forever. It was like a big, big news story, but just as soon as it began, it died down. And from what I can find, and I'm not saying this is 100%, but from what I can find, the Howells moved out of the house after it died down, and anyone who has lived there since has not had any mention of any paranormal activity. All righty, now I said that I was going to play the uh, news story for you, and guess what? I'm going to play the news story for you. Do you believe in ghosts? No? Well, perhaps not. But then, a week ago, neither did the Howells family, who lived in this house here in Ronda Street in Swansea. I say lived because so many strange and unexplained things have been happening in the house since Monday that the Howells have been forced to leave. 
the Howells, Marcia, aged 20, her 25-year-old husband David and their two young children are convinced that the house has been invaded by a poltergeist. Mrs Howells describes what happened on Monday afternoon. Well, it was about five o'clock in the evening and I just poured my little girl a cup of tea in my mother's room. I went out the back kitchen and as I opened the door, this bottle came flying towards me. And of course I shut the door to protect myself. I opened it again and I seen this other bottle. So I just picked up the children and I ran out the house. As I ran out, my husband was coming down the street here and uh, he ran straight in the house and by the time he got in there on, the place was turned upside down. What sort of state was the kitchen? It, it was terrible, the couch, the TV, everything, just, just thrown in the middle of the room. Yes. Now, I will pause it for right here real quick um, and say that they show footage of the inside of the house and it is beyond trashed, like a bomb went off in there. So uh, I just wanted to put that in there. I'm going to put the video on both the, uh, the Facebook pages, so definitely check it out there. All right, back to Marcia. But nothing happened on uh, Tuesday, but yesterday, my, it was about 3 o'clock, and I left my mother and the baby in the front room while I went up to school for my little girl. When I came home, my mother was on the doorstep. I asked her what was the matter, and she said that she heard this noise and she couldn't get out the back kitchen because the door was jammed. She could just poke her head in, you know, and seen that it had happened the same as it did on Monday. So with that, I went in the room. I pushed the door and moved the couch. I looked out the back kitchen. Nothing was touched out there. I went upstairs, and when I got upstairs, the, the bedroom was all upside down. My little boy's cot wasn't underneath the bed. If he'd have been in, he would have been killed. And uh, I went, I went, came down then, and we came out there and waited for my husband. When my husband came home, before my husband came home, we heard this other noise, but we didn't go in. Then my husband went in, we had a look, and everything in the back kitchen, my stove, everything, had, was chucked about, you know, on the floor. What was the state of the bedroom? In the bedroom, was in, it was a terrible state, everything. My tall boy, the bed, the cots, everything turned upside down. And, well, even the police, they had to break into the bedroom before they got there. You called in the police, what did they say? Well, they, they, well, they haven't got any explanation for it at all because, as I said, it couldn't be nothing human because how could it get out of the front bedroom down to the kitchen when the police had to break in? All right, I'm going to pause it right there because that is the other point that I wanted to make, that it couldn't have been Glendora, the grandmother, although that's a perfect witch name, so it should be Glendora, but it couldn't be her because, like she just said, the police had to struggle to get into the bedroom. It was so trashed, but it was contained inside it, and they had to, like, push their way into it. So no one could trash the bedroom, then leave that room. They would have been stuck in there with the trash that they just did inside the bedroom. So it just doesn't make any sense that this can be quickly explained away by, you know, I was just upset granny just trashing the place. You know how she gets. No. it. it every room, like I said, it looks like a bomb went off. And they had to struggle to get into those rooms. They really had to push through a lot of debris to get into the rooms. All right, we got about less than, about about 30 seconds left. Let's go back to the news story. Now, you've moved out of the house for the time being. Will you be moving back? I'm never going to move back. Never. Well, what do you think? The police who were called to the house admit that they are completely baffled. 
And certainly it was no figment of imagination that threw the bottles around the room and turned the bedroom and kitchen into a complete shambles. The question that the neighbours around here are asking now is, could this happen to them? Could it? Could it happen to them? That, that's the question. But apparently it didn't. Apparently it went away just as quickly as it began. And uh, like I said, another bizarre Welsh, I guess they would call it Welsh, they're from Wales, Welsh poltergeist story. So here you go. The uh, beginning of October, two for two with Welsh poltergeists. One I want to meet, the other one, stay the hell out of my house. Um, again, I don't want to have Pete over. Pete, if you're listening, Pete the poltergeist, if you're listening, you seem like a cool kid. I don't like the fact that you don't have a face and then you're sitting there waving at somebody, but, you know, you, you seem like a cool kid, but just, you know, don't don't come over. That's all I'm saying. Um, that about does it for this week's episode. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that these stories are poltergeist? The second one definitely sounds more poltergeistish, poltergeistish than the first one, but um, what do you think? Where's Pete now? Pete doesn't seem to be one that just disappears right away. The second one, who caused that one? Like I said, the closest age to uh, a girl going through puberty would have been Marsha. Um, maybe it was. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't, but 20-year-old uh, Marsha would be the closest to the suspected person that seems to cause the poltergeist activity without knowing that they're causing it. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to previous episodes about poltergeists. It's a good theory. It's not my theory, although I thought it was mine. Then I found out it's just a good theory about poltergeist activity um, and what it seems to be centered around. But uh, two really cool poltergeist stories that I really didn't know about. And like I said, I was Really intrigued with Pete the Poltergeist. I hope he's out there. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's listening to this. Pete, this episode goes out to you. Um, so what do you guys think? You like these Poltergeist ones? You all ready for Halloween? I hope you guys are. I hope you're all having fun. I hope you're ready for more spooky paranormal activity on Paranormal Almanac, hopefully in another thunderstorm. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. You know, I'm a sweetie guy. See, I just want to be there.